You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending May 6, 2016. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from the Daily Acquisition News. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. Although these never-ending political caucuses may make it seem like no time is actually passing, in some ways the close of the fiscal year is right around the corner, and the Office of Management and Budget is getting out in front of year-end preparations with guidance on how to handle budget planning and performance management, considering that a new administration will be on board in January. In an April 29th memorandum, Director Sean Donovan explained that normal budget materials and their corresponding performance plan components will not be submitted at the end of September, but that doesn't mean there's nothing to do. In essence, everyone should get all of their internal paperwork in order so they can present the new administration with accurate numbers and priorities, as well as be prepared to ask any questions they need an answer to right away. So specifically, OMB is going to collect data to develop a current services baseline the new administration can use as the foundation of its own proposals. Accordingly, agencies will be asked to complete technical reviews of prior and current year data and develop program-level current services estimates and identify key program or budget issues they need the next administration to weigh in on. That would be things like if there's a big upcoming change that will affect the financial baseline, or maybe there's a big policy change that's about to be rolled out and sign-off is needed to be sure it can proceed as planned. That preparatory info should be ready to share with OMB in September. Senators Mark Warner and Kelly Ayotte have introduced a bill that would eliminate or consolidate more than 200 unnecessary, duplicative, or outdated reports mandated by Congress and produced by more than 20 federal agencies. Examples of reports cited in the measure include a Department of Commerce report on a Fish Conservation Act that has not received funding since 2008, And, in more sweet, delicious irony, a Department of Transportation report on the consolidation or elimination of obsolete, redundant, or otherwise unnecessary reports, itself duplicated by reporting required by the 2010 Government Performance and Results Modernization Act. (laughs) (laughs) The measure has been referred to the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. A full list of the 223 reports in question can be found through our full news coverage of the legislation if you want to see if you might be off the hook for producing one of these if the measure passes. The Small Business Administration has officially released its small business contracting scorecards for FY 2015. SBA previously announced that the federal government had reached its small business contracting goal last year for the third consecutive year, in fact. Agencies awarded 25.75% of eligible federal contracting dollars, some $90.7 billion, to small businesses last year. So congratulations. Government-wide performance also exceeded goals for three socioeconomic categories. For women-owned small businesses, agencies awarded 5.05% of contracting dollars against a goal of 5%. Small disadvantaged businesses won 10.06% of eligible dollars against a goal of 5%. And service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses won 3.93% of eligible dollars against a goal of 3%. 
The only category in which the government fell short was historically underutilized business-owned small businesses, awarding 1.82% of eligible contracting dollars against a goal of 3%. Agencies also received their own individual scorecards. No agency received lower than a B grade, so congratulations again. Of particular note, three agencies received an overall score of A plus on their individual scorecards for meeting or exceeding 120% of their goals. And those were GSA, SBA, and the Department of Transportation. Agencies also scored well in the socioeconomic categories. Uh, For example, SBA awarded 39.14% of its eligible prime contracting dollars to small disadvantaged businesses and 23.08% to women-owned small businesses. The Department of Veteran Affairs awarded 16.81% of its eligible prime contracting dollars to service-disabled veteran-owned small firms. And transportation awarded 10.73% of its eligible prime contracting dollars to hub zone small businesses. Kudos also to the agencies showing the most improvement from last year. The Department of Energy increased its grade from an F to an A. Whoa. And very Yes, very good. <laughs> I wonder who was counting last year. Um, and NASA improved its rating from C to B. The General Services Administration has launched a new division to lead the government's digital transformation and help agencies with their own digital and IT challenges. The Technology Transformation Service brings under one roof the solutions and services offered by 18F, the Office of Citizen Services and Innovative Technologies, and the Presidential Innovation Fellows, and will be led by Phaedra Krusos, former Associate Administrator of Citizen Services and 18F. The service is intended as a launch pad to accelerate and align the government's modernization efforts and provide agencies with technical assistance in identifying the best solutions, tools, and approach for implementing transformative technology and solutions. GSA's IT contracts got a boost from the Defense Health Agency last week. In an April 25th memorandum, Michael Obar, DHA's component acquisition executive, issued policy mandating the use of GSA's contracting vehicles, including its federal supply schedules and GWACs for the acquisition of military health system Health IT. DHA's stated preference is for the use of GSA's GWACs due to the favorable contract access rates that are earned with increased volume. GSA's contracts must be used to the maximum extent practical, and any use of other contracts must be supported by market research and thoroughly documented in the acquisition strategy. The directive applies to both previously unsolicited and follow-on contracts and task orders unless a waiver is obtained. Component acquisition executive approval of an acquisition strategy that does not use a GSA GWAC or FSS contract will constitute such a waiver. Obar says DHA plans to strategically source at least $1 billion of Health Information Technology Division spending within the first two years of this strategy. The Department of Defense has proposed increasing the micro-purchase threshold to allow managers to use government credit cards for higher dollar-value purchases. DOD suggests raising the threshold from $3,000 to $10,000 for purchase cards, fleet cards, and integrated payment cards, as well as asking OMB to update guidance in Circular A-123 to ensure agencies follow sound acquisition practices and maintain internal controls that reduce the risk of waste, fraud, and abuse. The language was originally proposed for inclusion in the Fiscal 2017 National Defense Authorization Act, but did not make it into the House Armed Services Committee markup, though it may be introduced during floor debate. 
Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy Director Claire Grady has instructed contracting officers not to exclude nonprofit organizations from competing for a contract to provide religious services on a U.S. military installation. The May 3rd Memorandum implements Section 898 of the Fiscal Year 2016 National Defense Authorization Act and includes a class deviation for use in place of FAR Clause 52.219-6, Notice of Total Small Business Concerns Set-Aside, when acquiring religious-related services through a total small business set-aside. The deviation is effective immediately and will remain in effect until incorporated into the DFARS or rescinded. So this week, Office of Management and Budget Director Sean Donovan issued new guidance to strengthen and align various shared services and line-of-business efforts. OMB is creating a new shared services governance model and will appoint a shared services policy officer who will develop and implement policy across government relating to shared services go figure. Listeners may remember last fall, OMB announced the creation of a new cross-governmental shared services governance board to serve as the decision-making body for the shared services ecosystem. And at the same time, OMB created a unified shared services management office within GSA. And that office is intended to help integrate shared services by working across functions, providers, and agency customers. And both of those entities figure prominently in OMB's new guidance. The governance board will advise the shared services policy officer, support oversight, and determine an enterprise-wide strategy for administrative shared services. And those are fairly loosely defined as human resources, financial management, and acquisition functions, all the things that you would expect agencies could share. Uh, GSA's Office of Unified Shared Service Management, the USSM, also will work to improve service delivery and agency adoption. USSM will help develop shared service implementation guidance and will create a concept of operations for administrative shared services, which will define the roles and responsibilities of all stakeholders. The office has a number of other responsibilities for furthering the adoption of shared services, and two notable requirements include the creation of a shared services implementation playbook and a new provider stat process. The playbook will align with the FedStat process and federal budget cycle, leverage best practices and lessons learned in project management, and incorporate requirements from the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act and other OMB guidance. And USSM will also manage the new provider stat process, which is very similar to all the other stats that we see. Um, It's an ongoing data-driven review process to assess the maturity of provider capabilities in order to promote continuous improvement. This is great that they are tying all these efforts together. I I like how controller David Mater explained the thinking behind this to streamline and perhaps more importantly, standardize the whole shared service process. Mater pointed out that agencies have not had the standard process or guidance to help them decide whether or not they should even move to a shared service and when or if they do what provider they're going to choose. Right, right. That's and that's a challenge we've heard before. Um, you know, it's not anything new. It's there's no real consistency in how agencies are adopting or if they're adopting shared services, how they make that decision. Uh, the playbook will provide that kind of end-to-end guidance needed to make that an easy yes, uh, from considering a shared service to outlining the migration process. Um, beyond that guidance, a new shared services customer council. Uh, will be created and they'll gather in agency input on uh, suggested improvements uh, what they're finding to be best practices Uh, they'll also ensure the voice of the customer is heard as strategies are set and services are delivered and there's also going to be on the other side a new provider council and they'll help agencies who provide services 
um, OPM, Treasury, uh, agencies like that in various lines of business and help them collaborate and share best practices themselves. This is good stuff. I definitely think that if you want to organize a change, you really need to lay out a very clear trail of breadcrumbs to follow if you want people to you know, get that widespread adoption going. And these new efforts bring all of this home. And not that it was missing in the past, but shared services is one of those things that it sounded like, oh, this is a fantastic idea. And it got some traction in some sectors. I think the momentum kind of stalled before the full potential of shared services was really realized. So this could yeah. this could be make the tipping point, you know, to to bring the the level of change up significantly. Yeah, I think I think we you know, we've seen things like payroll services, right? That's a mm-hmm. no-brainer. Who needs, you know, you don't need to cut your own checks at your agency, right? right. Some of the financial management services have been a harder lift, but we've seen, you know, we've seen the movement there. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what other what other areas they they pull up and uh, how much they push with acquisition because that's kind of you know they they're not saying it out loud but it's definitely aligning with the category management absolutely um, yeah you know do, are they going to outsource you know commodity buys or hey you know you, you you have three contracts to buy your laptops from why not just let such and such be the laptop ordering office definitely and i Pure also speculation on my part. <laughs> <laughs> my wild speculation for the day you know another another thing that uh has roadblocked some of the shared services adoption has been incompatible systems. And I wonder if that IT modernization fund gets brought into being. That's something that if you have a system that's kind of aged and not doing so well anyway, that would be a great springboard into, ooh, and look, now our systems are compatible and Treasury can, you know, do our payroll for us or, or whatever. Right, so right. anyway, the... we are seeing the planets aligned for significant synergies, potentially. Oh, yeah. The, the Data Act is, you know, standardizing financial reporting. And then now we, oh, look at these shared services. We're going to, you know, get you moving. And yeah, there's there's a lot of things bringing, bringing it uh, together as one government, which I think is, I think it's overdue and I think it's great. Of course, in the meantime, it's like there's 10 different things that we need to you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> start complying with. I assure you, if we were at an agency, I'm sure our heads would be spinning. So but yes, anyway, yes, yes it will all now. come together and people would be like, oh, that's where they were going all this time. Yes, <laughs> so. much more exciting as an outsider. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's all for this week, but sort of an invite first um, to participate in an initiative that we have going on. ASI government is taking a survey of our listeners to gauge awareness and understanding of performance-based acquisition. PBA focuses contracting processes on outcomes, we talked about that last week and the week before, and encourages the government to focus on what needs to happen to deliver results, not how to do the work. PBA also functions as a signal to vendors that the government is out to get the most effective solution to its problem, not the lowest price. Unlike traditional contracting, PBA is about managing a relationship to deliver mission results rather than monitoring contract compliance. So, you know, nice collaborative emphasis there. And it is a federal mandate also that agencies use PBA for up to 50% of their eligible service contracts. So we would like to invite you to take our short five-question survey, which is also anonymous. ASI will use the results to develop resources and publications to support continual development of your acquisition skill set in this area. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, the link to the survey can be found on the same page on VAO where you downloaded this podcast, as can links to all the headlines we addressed in the podcast for further reading and reference. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Join us again next Friday, May 13th, to catch up on all the latest developments from the Daily Acquisition News. Goodbye.